live from Utrecht. This is Bitcoin Explained. Hallo. Hey, Sjors. Ja. Our favorite guest is back, Ruben. Hello, I'm hey, back. Ruben. How are you? Good to be back. How have you been? I'm doing great. Thanks, thanks for being back. So you're our sidechain expert, kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah. What? How do you describe so. yourself? Um, I change it every day, so <laughs> there's no. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, sidechain expert is a good way of putting it. Um, layer two expert, maybe. Layer two, yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, yeah, that, that all fits. Yes. Com complicated other things expert. I think someone described me as a sidechain architect. I think that was that was kind of funny. Architect, I like it. So it's good you're back today because we're going to discuss something layer two-ish, yep. namely federated eCash. First of all, why are we discussing federated eCash today, Shores? Well, because there was a blog post in uh, November 2021 about it. And then somebody randomly brought up um, eCash in another chat that I'm in last week. So I think it, maybe we should cover that. Wait, is the blog post from a year ago? Is that what you said? November. Just a few months. Oh, a few months ago. And right. it's a, a post by Blockstream specifically. Yeah, so Blockstream is going to fund a federated eCash project. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I so think the they're just going to sponsor the developer who works on that project. Yeah, yeah his name is uh, Eric. And uh, he's, uh, he's, yeah, he's basically researching the project or researching uh, eCash. And uh, Blockstream is funding it. Right. Um, so... I don't know if you know this, Shors, but I actually, we, we discussed this on the show before, or at least I did, kinda, on the um, the episode, the Bitcoin Beach episode I did with Nicholas Berti. They have this shared custody solution for their Lightning wallet. And then during the podcast, I sort of mentioned, you know what would be, what would be great for this if you use Xiaomi and Cash for this, this system to add privacy. Mm. So I'm very happy to learn that someone is actually building this. Yeah. That's excellent. So really, it's your idea. <laughs> I think I think I came up with it, basically, yeah. Clearly. Well, yeah. That's a joke know, in we'll, case we'll people to, are not sure. I think it's clear. I guess we'll get to explaining it, uh, but it does seem like it, it actually improves upon... Uh, this. What The thing that we're about to discuss is a useful improvement upon custodial wallets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, f first, uh, last intro question before we get into it. So Eric was already building this for a while before Blockstream s um, started to throw money at it? or I'm not sure how it got started. I think, uh, I guess he was interested in the topic and I guess he got in touch with Blockstream. And uh, he, I, I, my guess would be that he was already like interested in working on it. And I, I know at least a lot of the Blockstream people have always been very pro eCash. So it's not very surprising to me that they are interested in funding something like this. Uh, so I think they just they just got together and the interests interests aligned, and uh, there you go. I think that's what happened. Yeah, eCash definitely seems like a good solution to be built on top of Bitcoin to me. So let's get into eCash itself. What is eCash? I guess yours. In a nutshell, we 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 have to go back in time to uh, I don't know 1981 or something around that time when David Chaum published a paper, he's a cryptographer, uh, which I think was something like blinded signatures in blah, 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 electronic cash, blah, blah, blah. And in a nutshell, <laughs> what, the, what the system that he proposed and eventually built with DigiCash, what it did is the, the bank or a bank issues IOU tokens. And those tokens, you could see them as a piece of text. Um, and we'll explain how those tokens are made. 
and you can actually send those tokens to other people on the internet. Yeah, um, so you, you and they can then redeem those tokens if they want to. Yeah, there was you, you speak about tokens, but the point here is that eCash was essentially a technology layer to be used by banks. So the actual money is still dollars or euros or whatever the bank, you know, whatever the bank accounts are using. And then they issue tokens that basically represent a dollar and they yeah. can be exchanged at the bank for a dollar, right? That's right. And I think, uh, you know, the goal was sort of, I think, also to think of it as regular cash, right? Where just a digital version of having a dollar bill in your hands and giving it to somebody else, uh, roughly. And with the uh, main advantage of it being somewhat anonymous. So the bank would give you digital dollar bills in a way that they will not know what actually is happening to these bills. So if, if, if the bank gives me a dollar bill or this digital dollar bill and then I give it to Ruben, then the bank does not actually know that I gave it to Ruben. They'll know that they gave me a dollar and they'll know that, that Ruben gave, uh, redeemed a dollar with them. But assuming there's more people using the system, they will not be able to tell which dollar is which. Yeah, they and, won't be able to tell who paid who, essentially. Yeah. Right. And, and now you might ask yourself, oh my God, did they actually invent Bitcoin that long ago? <laughs> and the answer is no, because um, they have this double spend problem. And the way they deal with the double spend problem is that when you receive coins, you have to actually tell the bank, hey, I just received this coin. Please make sure nobody else receives this coin ever. So that's the centralized party has to make sure that coins can only be used once. Because I think it's easiest to think about these tokens as just a piece of text. And you can copy a piece of text around, so there's nothing stopping me from giving the same piece of text to Ruben and to give it to Aaron. But as long as both of them immediately check with the bank, hey, I just received this token, the bank will make sure that the second person will, will get a warning, like saying, hey, now you did not actually get any money, you should not offer this service. So that's how they solve the double spend problem. And now the question yeah, what, is... What you're saying is it still required a central party to sort of manage everything right yeah and to synchronously and, and, manage it like they, they mm -hmm. have to be online all the time otherwise yeah. the whole payment system grinds to a halt right but to your point i would say well i wouldn't just say that i think that's a fact this eCash was the first digital currency was sort of the predecessor the first predecessor to bitcoin it's the first of, digital cash right so so sure, as distinct from a sure. digital bank account which a, a digital bank account uh, just means that the bank knows exactly which dollar goes to which other person because yeah, my point being, if you sort of backtrace where Bitcoin came from, then I think it's fair to say eCash is sort of the first attempt of, of doing something like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned that it offers privacy, and I want to get into that real quick. So how does this actually work? Yeah. Who wants to have a go at that? That's amazing, right? Because you would, in, you would imagine that if you just have a piece of text, then the bank, you know, gives writes the piece of text, gives it to the first user, and then they give it to the other user. So the bank knows exactly what, piece of text let's they, say let's they say let's say throughout this conversation for clarity i'm the bank all right and oh, then you're the bank i'm the bank so i'm issuing something to you shores yeah i'm issuing a note to you shores you pay ruben ruben pays me and then i can usually if we don't take the privacy anonymity uh, measures then i can see hey this is the notes that i gave to shores yeah so therefore shores must have paid ruben and there's exactly. no privacy interaction there might be a serial so, number on it yeah so this needs to be solved somehow. So mm. how was that solved? Ta-da! Yeah. Okay, so basically how that's solved is uh, by blind signatures. So what happens is the first person comes and, and gets a note from the bank. So in this case, Aaron, uh, Aaron you uh, give a note to Shores. 
Um, but the, the trick is that it's actually a number that's short-picked and he blinds that number so you can't actually see it. And then you put your signature on the blinded value and then Shores, he can go and unblind that value after you after you signed it. And so now Shores has his number that you signed, but you never saw because the only thing you saw was the blinded number. And then later Shores gives the number to me and now both me and Shores have the number. So it, that's not enough. If I just received the number from Shores, well, now it's kind of both our coin. So I go and I show the number to you, Aaron, and now uh, you see the number and you see that you signed it, but you don't recognize it because the previous one was blinded. And after you receive it, uh, you either credit me a dollar or now we do the same thing. We create a new number. So I, I create a number, I blind it, I give it to you, you sign it, I unblind it, and now I have a new token. That's basically how it works. Yeah, yeah. and you're using the word blinding here, but that's basically yes. just doing some sort of mathematical formula with a secret number, right? Yeah, you, can, you can think of it as... Uh, adding two numbers together, two big numbers. Uh, and then after you sign it, somehow one of the two numbers can be subtracted again. That's not literally how it works, but you know. Yeah, or a, the, a physical analogy that's being used mm. is uh, this carbon copy paper. So uh, I don't know if people still remember what paper forms are. <laughs> You're old, <laughs> yours. But uh, well, if you, if you drive a car, then you might still encounter these pieces of paper. So if you, in Europe anyway, if you crash your car into somebody else or vice versa, you have to fill in an insurance form and you draw a picture of the situation on the form and then uh, there's a piece of paper below it which is called a carbon copy. That's where CC in email comes from, um, which will have the same text on it because your pen physically pushes through the paper. It's crazy. But the, the analogy here would be you could put a piece of carbon, this carbon paper inside an envelope and then you would write on the envelope, on the outside of the envelope, uh, your signature. And that means that whatever was on the inside of the envelope now has your signature on it. So you kind of make a carte blanche uh, signature. Of course, it wouldn't be carte blanche. Uh, there is a way to guarantee that, you know, you're not signing for $100 when you're only getting one. But, that, but that's the idea. The bank does, uh, knows they signed something that is a banknote. Uh, and you can prove to other people that the bank showed it. But uh, the bank does not know which note they signed because they can't see inside the envelope. Yeah. Yep. And unlike a real envelope, they can't actually open it. And uh, so maybe one good thing to add here is that the anonymity set is actually depending on the value. So if you issue a $1 note, then everybody else who has a $1 note is within the same anonymity set. And if there's a $2 note, then you have yet another anonymity set. And because the, uh, the bank cannot really distinguish, um, it, you know, it, it signs something and it, it, it can't really distinguish who it came from, the way you distinguish the values, well, there are multiple ways of doing that, but one way of doing that is to have the bank just put a different signature on a different value note. Okay. But now you're moving beyond what David Chom did, I think. Uh, that is uh, possible, yeah. yeah. We're not actually entirely <laughs> sure, but as far as yeah. I understand it, the DigiCash system had coins of one fixed value, and they yeah. were all the same value. Yeah, that was in the original paper. Yeah, and then yeah. later on there were proposals where you could have different values, and then you have to go through a whole bunch of magic to make... So, so that you can make notes of different values. Well, well, but yeah. it just boils down to having a very large bag of coins. Yeah, well, so it's not necessarily a lot of magic because you can just have the the bank have a different key and that would be sufficient. So then every key is representative of a value. Yes. So that, that would be basically enough. But there, there, there are lots of different schemes, that's true. Yeah. Anyways, getting back to the main point, the trick is essentially, sure, you create a piece of currency essentially, but then you scramble it with a secret number, you send it to me, 
I sign it. And the magic is that you can unscramble it while the signature is still valid. Yeah. I can still see that, yep, I signed this. I, I signed the scrambled version of this. And therefore, this is a valid note. And yeah. when Ruben hands it to me, I'll give him a real yeah. Bitcoin in exchange in this case, or in Chum's case, a dollar. And that yeah. means in the case or, of the bank, they know that how many how many notes they issued. So somebody cannot forge more notes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, eCash. Now we're getting into sort of this new Bitcoin version of it. I think in general, it works the same, right? That the, the blinding mechanism and the way transactions work and that yep. that's essentially the same. Yep. But there's a new aspect to it, which is the federated part yeah. of it, right? Yeah. So and, and the fact that you're pegging in and out of Bitcoin. Yeah, we're not using dollars or euros anymore. We're using yeah. Bitcoin, yeah. yeah. But but I think the interesting part to zoom into now is the federated part. Hmm. So what does that mean? Yeah. So the uh, the federated part is basically that because you can hold Bitcoins with more than one person, uh, you can have the mint or the bank, as we called it. Um, we can have that entity also be some kind of multisig thing, multisig entity of multiple people. So maybe the three of us, we can come together and we can say like, hey, we are going to start Mint. And then anyone who trusts us can deposit some coins and we give them tokens that we sign. Yeah, and so, so to take one, to, to get back to our previous example, yeah. I was the bank in the previous yeah. example. In this example, I am basically replaced by a multisig yeah. of multiple people. Yeah, so let's let's say it's the three of us, for instance. Sure. And then we have a two of three multisig. So for someone to enter into the system, uh, they might send us uh, 100 Satoshis, and then we might give them 100 signatures, where each signature is worth one Satoshi, for example. Or we give them one signature that's worth 100 Satoshis. So there's some flexibility yes. in the denomination. Yeah, yeah. Or, or 10, worth 10, et cetera. Yeah. And um, after, after, so when we do that, that, signature is also a, a, a multi-signature of the three of us. So the, the signature itself... So the blind signature. The blind signature, yeah, yeah is also a, a multi-sig signature. So that means that, you know, the three of us, we at least know like, okay, well, it's not just Aaron who uh, who suddenly is creating a bunch of these tokens. Uh, the three of us will have to have signed off on it or two or three if you want some kind of threshold signature scheme. Uh, and uh, that basically uh, adds to the security where now instead of having to trust one entity both the both the uh, currency that's backing it, which is the Bitcoin, is is held in a multisig, and the issuance of new tokens on this uh, on this blind eCash uh, system, they are also multisig. Right. Yeah. So it's safer. That's essentially yes. the point of doing it federated as opposed to just a single signature yeah. solution. And then the question is, what can you actually do with these tokens? Well, if you know within the community, people can use it if they trust the the basically the quorum or the uh, yeah. If they, if they trust the group that signed it, yeah, uh, they can use it because they know uh, they know what these tokens are worth, and they can just move them around as it would be with other eCash systems. Well, so but, let's make this very concrete. The three of us have this. We have we have a multi-sig mint. The three of us, we're issuing tokens, and we're getting Bitcoin in exchange for that. Yep. Right. And so the recipient of that token can pay. Whoever will receive the token, whoever will accept the token, essentially, yeah, right? Anybody yeah. who trusts the token, and that that really relies on them trusting uh, the the federation. And the because... benefit. What's the benefit exactly? What? Why use this instead of lightning, for example? Mm. Uh, yeah. So I think 
you know, one of the, the things you should compare it to is I think a centralized thing where if you just have full custody, you, you give full custody over to Coinbase, for instance, or uh, we've seen a bunch of these uh, lightning wallets, they're actually custodial. Um, so you, you basically have a custodial relationship with one entity. And in, if that's the case, you can do better with this federation and you can do better with these anonymous tokens, where if you have an eCash system, uh, you can at least within all the people, all the people that are trusting the same entity uh, or the, the same federation, within with between those people, you can now send anonymously without the federation itself actually knowing where those tokens are going. So that's uh, a big improvement, I would say. Um, yeah, so it's a more private custodial wallet, in yes. a sense, but with the same drawbacks as a custodial wallet right. in that as a user, you don't know if it's uh, if it has full reserve or not. Um, the same goes with a normal custodial wallet. Um, but the advantage is because you're not doing anything on chain other than making your first deposit and eventually taking coins out, you have very low transaction fees. Yeah. But but or there's also an obvious downside, which is that, well, you can't use those tokens outside people who trust that particular federation. And yeah. the way this is designed, there could be hundreds of different federations. Every family could have their own federation or every country could. Well, I think in that sense, the Bitcoin Beach wallet is a pretty good example. Yes. You know, I was at Bitcoin Beach for a while in El Salvador and I did use the Bitcoin Beach wallet because it was just a bit easier. And I, you know, I'm not putting my life savings there because I know it's custodial, but it was definitely the fastest and easiest way to just pay for your breakfast and, yeah. you know, walk around town and get a Yeah. Get and a so Coke in and... this new situation, you would again deposit your, your regular Bitcoin from another wallet into the Bitcoin Beach system. But they would then give you these these Xiaomi and eCash tokens so that you can now pay people without them knowing who you're paying. Exactly, yeah. The biggest drawback was privacy. Whoever was controlling the funds or managing the wallets could see exactly where I was having breakfast or where I was buying Yeah, and, my and then the next step that is, I think, a pretty smart leap, although it has actually not been completely developed, so we'll have to see if that leap is vaporware or whether it's going to be real. That is that this federation will now make arbitrary lightning payments for you yeah and that means that uh if you if you want to pay somebody on the lightning network um yeah you can do that you'll send your tokens you'll essentially burn your tokens back into the federation and they'll do the lightning payment for you and this is nice because uh, running a lightning node by yourself is not super easy so the idea of, of having a joint lightning node with even just with 10 people uh makes sense and you can use these tokens as a way to sort of bridge um between that yeah, yeah the point here is being so if you own these tokens so you, you could um withdraw you, you could redeem the tokens for bitcoin and then send the bitcoin or lightning but what you're saying is the trick here would be to, if you want to pay someone else you only have these tokens then there's some sort of trick where the redemption is sort of the same thing as a payment to the other person that's what yeah, you're saying yeah i mean right? redeeming money like in the original ecash example you would redeem coins and then your bank would give you a balance in this case you would redeem coins and then they make a lightning payment to the destination yep and you can you can probably use various different schemes depending on how much you want to trust the federation to actually do your lightning but you're already trusting them to to redeem your coins yeah so you might as well trust them to make a lightning payment for you so but this this really scales well right because you could also have the federation do an on-chain payment but then you might as well just have your own non-custodial wallet because for every payment to the outside world, there is exactly one Bitcoin transaction. So there's no advantage to, to putting your coins into a federation 
and then paying from the Federation other than maybe some privacy. Yeah. So Lightning does give that advantage of scale where one Lightning node, which might have 10 channels or whatever it is, uh, can handle the, the outgoing payments for a large group of people sharing uh, the overhead. So so there there is one thing uh, that uh, I should clarify here because uh, the there there is the theoretical model where the uh, Federation controls uh, a Lightning channel and then you can peg out through that channel. Uh, but that actually in practice is very complicated because now you would have to have a you know, Lightning is a two of two multisig, but now one of, of those two is Federation. Uh, and that is actually very complicated in practice for the uh, for the Federation to run uh, the channel itself. So actually the uh, solution that uh, Eric uh, uh, is, is working on now is one where uh, instead of having the Federation itself uh, ha- uh, control the channel, uh, he actually suggests we can... Um, we can basically create a token that has some smart contracting features that are very similar to the Lightning Network, uh, how the Lightning Network works itself. Um, so basically, you can open a channel that only has the amount of value that you want to send out on top of the uh, the uh, federated uh, eCash system. And then you make that one payment, uh, and then your, your, your channel is basically empty, so your channel closes again. Uh, and that allows basically anyone to sort of uh, play the intermediary where you could think of it uh, similar to maybe uh, the Liquid Network that we discussed on, I don't know which episode, maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe sure, 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 remembers exactly. I don't think we have discussed the Liquid Network. We've we've mentioned it. It's, okay, yeah. We've mentioned it, but okay. we haven't done a full episode on yeah, it. Yeah, okay, maybe not a full episode. But um, uh, the Liquid Network is, uh, just for people that know it then, at least, it's kind of a separate blockchain that is also controlled by a federation, uh, but anyone could open a lightning channel on top of Liquid and then connect that to the Bitcoin Lightning Network and then send out of the lightning, uh, out of Liquid into, uh, into the Bitcoin Lightning Network. And this is kind of a similar thing where you do the same thing, uh, except the uh, channel now kind of exists inside of the, feder- uh, inside of the, uh, the eCash system. Yeah, but I guess the big picture way of putting this would be to say, well, you could have some sort of hypothetical lightning node that is run by the whole federation. This is difficult. Yeah, It'd be nice if, if one person can run uh, a lightning node and then interact with the federation by accepting these tokens. And then, add, yeah. you know, there's different ways to do that. And one would be to use smart contracts. Yeah. Um, but in the end, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And I maybe, you know, as a big picture, big picture thing, um, one of the things with the original Digicash-like systems or eCash systems is that every merchant has to accept the specific little cash token in order for it to be useful. So you need to win the network effect game. So, yeah. you know, they, they almost won that because they almost had a deal with Microsoft uh, that would have put DigiCash on every PC out there. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, but in this case, with this new proposal, you don't need that big of a network effect because as long as you can exit the Federation through Lightning, you can interact with anybody who takes lightning, which already has a, a much larger light uh, network effect yeah. than your your little federation has. So that means you can do these these federations at a much smaller scale. Yeah, and maybe uh, to to bring back kind of a practical example, uh, you could have a group of people that you know trust each other pretty well, uh, and they create a federation, and you know maybe it's a local community, and uh, maybe like Bitcoin Beach, and then really, as long as there's one person within that community who's willing to run a Lightning node and trust the, trust both the Federation and trust the eCash, as well as uh, uh, that person being connected to the rest of the Lightning network, 
uh, now you can send out payments out of the Lightning Network. And then you can imagine that on the other side, maybe there's yet another eCash system with another person who is doing the same thing. And now you can send from one federation to another federation. And you sort of have this this uh, entirely uh, the system that is sort of ecosystem of federations. Yeah. Yeah. Do we call this layer free? Is this layer free, Ruben? <laughs> it's a two point seven, I think. <laughs> Yo, what is going on, guys? We are proud to have Voltage as a sponsor of this episode. How many of you developers out there have wanted a streamlined infrastructure provider for your particular project? Well, I'll tell you what, Voltage is the Bitcoin infrastructure provider you have been looking for that makes building on Bitcoin quick and easy, whether it's Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, BTC pay, and so much more. But don't take it from me. Just ask the guys over at Amboss, Sphinx, Podcast Index, and Thunder Games, and so many others that you guys already know and love. Their enterprise-grade products make it fast and easy to build, deploy, and scale your next project. So make it easy on yourself. Even Normie Plebs can use the dashboard or API. Don't wait before the next block confirmation. Let your team focus on building great products and let Voltage handle all the rest. Voltage is your go-to zero management Bitcoin infrastructure solution. Yo, what is going on, plebs? We're going to take a break from our programming to tell you about the resurrection of our print magazine, starting with the El Salvador issue. Starting this fall, Bitcoin magazine will be available on newsstands nationwide and at retail stores such as Barnes & Noble. Don't want to get off your couch, though? No problem. You can also go to store.bitcoinmagazine.com. So skip the line and get each issue shipped directly to your front door with our annual subscription. I'm talking four issues a year that contain exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, along with powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Subscribe today and get 21% off using code podcast at checkout. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at checkout. And now it'd be nice if all custodial wallets actually just switched to a system like this so that, you know, there'd be good privacy in custodial wallets. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, if if they're based in, in most countries, uh, being too private would actually cause some regulatory issues for them to put it mildly. So they may not be incentivized to to offer this type of privacy to their customers, but yeah. that's that's sort of a regulatory battle that is difficult to win. I mean, there's yeah. there's a reason banks don't use Xiaomi and eCash. I think it's because not because they can't. It's not because they don't have the developers. It's just because they can't offer privacy to their customers. They don't want to, for regulatory reasons. They don't want to for selling user data reasons. So it it really probably boils down to people deciding themselves to set up these federations between friends or other trusted groups. Yeah, and that is, uh, I think, sort of the uh, the limitation of the 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 technology, right? Where it, you are custodial if you if you run a federation like that. So you can't really grow too big. If you grow too big, it's very likely that you're going to get regulatory scrutiny on you. Uh, so that makes it difficult unless you maybe have a multi-country federation, but those are kind of difficult too. That and, and you also run into trust issues, right? Because yes. with yeah. three friends you might still trust that the system is uh is solvent. Uh but you know with some random people running, you know, well, that let, thing let's you zoom, might not trust that. Let's zoom into that for a second. Yeah. Because you, this is this is one of the main drawbacks is that you do have to trust the mint in the federation in this case. But is that something that could potentially be solved with uh provable reserves or that kind of so yeah so unfortunately uh the it's sort of the, the trade-off of getting this really good privacy and the privacy is basically so good 
that you can't audit the supply. That's basically <laughs> how you could see it. Right, because in theory, you could audit the supply by, for example, when you mint a coin, you would mention which UTXO it's minted from. Yeah. And then if enough people say, hey, I got a coin from this UTXO and I got a coin from this UTXO, and if that adds up to more than the value of the UTXO, well, then you kind of caught them lying, essentially. Um, but you don't want to actually be able to link the UTXO to these specific tokens because that defeats the whole privacy point of it. Yeah. yeah, it would sort of become basically like a blockchain, right? Where you have a history of transactions and sure, they're pseudonyms and maybe you can have something like confidential transactions to make it more anonymous, but they're still links. So you don't get that that perfect privacy. Uh, but that also, uh, so that means also that you, because you can't audit the supply, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is also a limitation here is that if the Federation wants, they can actually secretly cheat where instead of them just, you know, taking all the, uh, all the on-chain Bitcoin and just moving it elsewhere, uh, which would be visible, right? Because they, you would see the Bitcoins move on the Bitcoin blockchain and you'd be like, Hey, that's a lot of Bitcoins that are moving. Um, they could also inflate the number of tokens and that would also be invisible. And then basically you, the, uh, the eCash Federation would be running a fractional reserve. One of the things you mentioned, um, or no, one of the things in the show notes, which I'm not sure if we still need to get into our specific use cases. Are there any specific use cases of this that we need to mention or have we gone over that? I feel like we've uh, we've covered it, right? And so so maybe one thing I can add here is that, you know, I'm seeing like the, when it clicked for me, uh, why I think eCash is useful and, and necessary in Bitcoin today is actually because we've been seeing a lot of these custodial lightning wallets pop up. Uh, and they're pretty popular. They're pretty easy to use. Um, so I think you know, it's the perfect niche to like just as of what is happening right now. I think, yeah, that's just straight up an improvement. Even if the Federation is a Federation of one, uh, I still think it's an improvement because at least everybody who trusts that single custodian can now anonymously uh, transfer between them. Exactly. Because we've been talking about federations all the time, but yeah. it could be an N of one federation. Yeah. Right. Okay. Shors, you wanted to get into, you wanted to break this down now. You wanted to uh, attack the privacy of this system. Is that right? Uh, well, yeah, a little bit. So we mentioned uh, something about denominations so that we think that the original system had only one denomination. Maybe it was a cent, maybe, I don't know. And But there have been proposals, and, and the new system that's proposed by Blockstream and folks and Eric has multiple notes, just like, you know, your your normal cash, you might have a one dollar note and a ten dollar note, and so you can you can provide change by issuing multiple notes. But in Bitcoin we have precise amounts. Yeah. So you might wonder why you wouldn't just issue notes with precise amounts. Mm. And there's I would say two objections to that. One is that it becomes cryptographically more difficult to do because the bank is blindly signing and if you want the bank to also not know the amount, well that's a bit of a problem. So um, yeah, and there are some solutions to that, right? So yeah, I think Brent's one of the credentials is one of them. Um, yeah, the, the problem with the amounts, and I think it was mentioned, but just to spell this out, is if I issue exactly 1.023, blah, 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 and that exact amount is withdrawn by Ruben later, then I can obviously link the amounts and I still know who paid who, even though the blind signature was used. Yeah, well, that was the second objection I wanted to bring up. Yeah, so, exactly. so it's more difficult to issue these things in the first place because of the blind signature ritual, and it completely destroys privacy. 
because yeah, you're you're sending very recognizable amounts across the wire. So one of the in general with these eCash systems, you can start a bank could try to correlate uh, payments to people by carefully watching how much you know because every time you receive it, you immediately have to verify it. So if money changes hands very frequently, you might be able to to infer where the money is moving. Though in principle, you don't you know in, at first glance you know nothing because a bank issues coins, so they know how much coins they issued. So Ireland, in this case, the bank, you know how much you issued to me, say $20, but you have no idea if and when I spent them because I don't tell you. And Ruben receives these notes. Now, if, if the three of us are the only ones on the network, then the very fact that Ruben redeems the note, even though he never bought one, means that he got it from me. And then you know that I have 19 and he has one. Yeah. But... And this type of thing, you know, if the network is bigger and there's multiple customers, it's it's much more difficult. It becomes noise. But if you're smart enough with data, you might still be able to infer things. That's Just right. like the chain analysis companies out there can monitor the blockchain. And even though they don't know for sure which, which part is changing, which part is not, they can somewhat infer things. Yeah. Just to add a small wrinkle, like even in this, this case where there's three people and you have 20 to tell because you sent one to me, uh, even then, you could like try to increase the anonymity by just redeeming your own token, right? So even in that scenario, uh, maybe there could still be some privacy. But yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you know, when Chaum originally proposed these things, yeah, uh, things were quite different. Uh, this rat race, or yeah, rat race, like arms race, I guess, between the privacy people and the the surveillance people was not started yet. So they may have been slightly naive about it, just like people thought Bitcoin was going to be much more private than it turned out to be. Yeah. Um, and what that rat race would look like, yeah, I could imagine that wallets would start deliberately redeeming their own coins or like waiting a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, and you'd have to think about what the den denomination should be if you have multiple denominations. Uh, should you have too many $100 coins? Maybe not, maybe yes. Yeah. Um, that sort of stuff. So I think the uh, the strongest point that, that you made, Shorsa, earlier when we were discussing this before the show uh, was that you need a, a Tor connection, basically, where you every time you redeem a token, you don't want to connect with the same IP to the, to the Mint, because if you do, uh, then you are leaking a lot of information. Whereas if every time you connect to the Mint, you, you present yourself as a different IP, as a different person, uh, that really helps a lot, I, yeah. I think. Though I would also say that if custodial wallets, you know, allowed you to have totally anonymous accounts yeah. uh, with Tor, then we might not even need these type of solutions. So there is, the, there is the problem of, you know, most custodial services not liking the idea of having mm. totally anonymous customers <laughs> depositing random money. Uh, but this, again, might be a matter of scale. Uh, you know, if it's just yeah. you and your family, it might be okay if you're using Tor, though. Then again, maybe you don't need to use Tor if it's just you mm, and your yeah. family. That's funny too. Yeah. So th these are interesting uh, questions. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, HTTPS was invented since the Chrome thing too. So mm. um, at the time, I think if you were doing this with your bank, your bank could literally see what you were, or the, your internet provider could literally see what you were doing because internet traffic was not encrypted, whereas now it is. So this already helps a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I've, we've covered pretty much what we wanted to do, right? Yeah. I, I mean, the the other thing that's in the in my notes here is ideal properties of digital cash. Uh, did did you want to get into that or not? I could very briefly mention this. So there there's yeah. a paper that Ruben found. I think is a it's a lecture note from probably 2009 from a UK university somewhere where where somebody listed sort of the top seven 
uh, wishlist things in a digital cash system. Mm -hmm. So although this is probably from 2009, looks like they were not aware of Bitcoin yet. And is this all focused on privacy or not necessarily? Well, so digital cash, he would define it as, as being able to make payments that are indeed private. Right. So whereas PayPal is not digital cash, it's more like a digital bank account because the payments are completely traceable. Yeah. And so he would say, ideally, such a system, and he says, like, there I mean, is I no such I think that's system. worth pointing out because yeah. throughout the whole block size debate and all of that, it, you know, still people think that digital cash refers to the cost of transaction, but that was never, at least not the original meaning of digital cash. It was always I mean, about privacy. It depends on what you want, right? I mean, in this case, digital cash has the emphasis on cash and and not cash in privacy is yours right yeah yeah well as yeah because the cash is private uh, others would that's say my, that's my point we agree yeah exactly and others would say no it's about being cheap but being cheap can be done with the database anyways being, what we're referring to what we're talking about here is privacy yeah so privacy would be secure so you're you're able to like not fake these coins well that's pretty much solved with digital signatures in general uh it should be anonymous which kind of means like Two people, like I pay Ruben and Ruben doesn't know who I am. I don't know who Ruben is and the bank doesn't know who either of us is. That would be ideal. Now, the yeah. system we discussed with the original cash system, that would not be the case. The bank would know who I am. The bank would know who Ruben is, but they kind of don't know that we transferred, that we transacted. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean not necessarily, right? Like it depends, I guess, on the... If you, if you assume a trust relationship between the bank and, and every individual person, then yes. But you could also, maybe if the bank is you know crazy enough uh, to allow anonymous people, uh, then oh, that wouldn't for even sure. be necessary. I mean, something yeah. like Tether you know, yeah. could exist. Yeah. Um, it's portable. So that means like you, you can use it everywhere. I guess portable is something we take for granted now that we mm -hmm. all have mobile phones. <laughs> so maybe we don't really have to go into this. It's two-way. Um, well, well, I mean, one thing I, th I find interesting about the portable uh, one is, so it, it's portable in the sense, I think that gold would be very heavy to transfer. It would be very difficult to transfer over uh, uh, long distances and, you know, having a digital cash is like this, this thing that you can easily transfer. But, you know, one thing that's sort of funny is that um, I, I do think for the Bitcoin blockchain, at least the block size is sort of a constraint on portability, you could say. It's, it's not literally portability, but there's a limit to how many people can transfer uh, their Bitcoins. Um, and, and obviously, if you pay enough, you, you get to transfer your Bitcoins, but that is, I think, sort of a portability limit. Well, no system is perfect. So yeah. the other thing is, they, they call it two-way, uh, and then the second term is peer-to-peer, -peer, and that makes it more clear. So with Visa and MasterCard, you have merchants who sign up with the network as a merchant, and you have customers who sign up as a customer. So two customers cannot send money between their two credit cards. Um, now, there have actually been some prepaid debit card systems out there in more recent years with fintech companies that do let you essentially use credit cards as a peer-to-peer -peer system. So there were workarounds for it, mm. but this was considered a, a big problem. And, you know, the eCash system solved that because anybody can send the cash to anybody else. Uh, and so does Bitcoin, of course. Everybody can send Bitcoin to everybody else. It should be offline capable. Now, offline there seems to be more defined, uh, not so much as not having internet, more about not having access to the third party. Mm. So there, they say, well, you can't make a payment if your eCash bank is offline even for a second because you can't verify it. And I guess what at least Bitcoin lets you do is 
not both parties don't have to be online at exactly the same time. And the blockchain has to respond at some time, at some point, but it doesn't immediately have to respond because you have to wait six confirmations anyway. Yeah. So it at least removes the requirement of being online simultaneously. Whereas, you know, a lot of pin systems or uh, terminals in the in shops, they really have to be on and connected to the bank yeah. and every every other central party involved in that whole process or the whole thing doesn't work. Yeah, I will add to that that um, <clears throat> at least for eCash, there have been uh, attempts to make it literally offline uh, where you can just go to a merchant. And I think it also makes sense at the time because, you know, internet was less widespread than this today. Um to well, literally... your, your computer was still making a lot of noise in order to get online. <laughs> exactly, yeah. We're yeah, talking no. about the early 80s. Yeah, terrible uh, 28K modem uh, that I had was, uh, yeah, lovely to listen to. I think we're talking mid-90s, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, like the idea of being actually being able to go to a shop, not be online, give a token... And then not have to worry about like basically the double spending. I think this was solved in kind of a weird way where the token sort of had my name on it, but only if I double spent the token would would the my name be revealed. Therefore, yeah, I'm disincentivized from yeah. Doing so there's, so. there's two ways to deal with it, right? One is to punish afterwards, yeah, and the other is to make it physically sort of impossible with trusted hardware. Except you know, mm, trusted yeah. hardware is a can of worms. Yeah, but that's of course in in Bitcoin we have the open dime. Yeah, where you can technically give some money offline, although not really because you can't check the balance without being online anyway. So yeah. um, it's not, you know, it's not perfect. And um, then the number six was white acceptability. So we kind of talked about that. Bitcoin still has, of course, this problem of, of getting a bigger network, but it is at least globally known and recognized. Yeah. Um, and whereas I think, I think it kind of goes hand to hand with uh, number seven, which I think was user friendliness. Uh, and I think the more user-friendly it is, the more uh, you know widespread it will be. Yeah. So I think those two kind of go but, together. But I think an interesting aspect of those two, I guess, is that uh, you can have small federations, as we discussed, you can have small federations and still interact with everybody in the world that speaks lightning. So that's a nice way yeah. to, to to avoid this this phenomena where like Visa and MasterCard, you know, if you want to compete with them, you have a big problem because you need to convince every merchant out there yeah. Um, and if you want to compete with Bitcoin, you also have a big problem because now you have to compete with this coin. Yeah, and so. that, that's really thanks to the Lightning Network, and it's really nice, like like a nice feature of the Lightning Network that it's it's sort of it works on every chain, or in this case, not really a chain, but any any kind of system that has some smart contracting, you can kind of put the Lightning Network on there, and you can have it be a, the glue that connects everything everything together. That's really nice. Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, I th I think Bitcoin itself already get you there yeah, yeah. but uh, and i guess this federation system you, you could do it without cryptocurrency too right so yeah it's all it's all possible yeah so that was a pretty long digression i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> but interesting and, and i was wrong about the privacy part so uh, uh, this was about all of the privacy uh digital cash futures like you said apparently just how to reproduce cash digitally yeah that, that's that's the challenge and i would say bitcoin solves it better than than eCash did, but the combination might be even better. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I still think there are niche use cases for, for all different types of uh, layer two solutions, basically. All right. All right. I think that's it. That ties it together for me. Yeah. So I think uh, just, just one thing to clarify, at least for those who are uh, super interested in, in the tiny little details, I, I think, so there is a version of eCash that's called Brands Credentials. 
um, and, and other variants as well, I think. Uh, so those do allow variable amounts without this this problem of every amount being uh, you know its own anonymity set. Uh, but that unfortunately doesn't really work, or at least not easily. It's not easily. It's not easy to make it work in a federation setting. So that's that's why it's not being used. Uh, maybe in the future we'll think of the proper cryptography to uh, allow that to be used. Uh, but as of right now, that seems a little complicated. All right. Well then, in that case, thank you for listening to Bitcoin Explained. There you go. There you go.